They were high school sweethearts that got married and had a kid. It's the Brunigs. In the swamp of D.C. they tweet all day, but that's okay. They're the Brunigs. She is a journalist. He is a wonk. Wonk, wonk, wonk. They talk about the news or whatever they want. In the fight for justice, they're on your side. You can't deny it's the Brunigs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to our low-effort, low-quality podcast. This is Liz Brunig. This is my husband, Matt. Hi, everyone. And this is our year-end episode. That's true. It is the December 30, and it's going to go out December 31, so it's really well-timed. It's the end of the year, man. 2018, it's over. That's true. How about you that? Know, should should old acquaintance. acquaintance be forgot? Keep your eye on the grand old flag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, that's the timeless wisdom. <laughs> that is. That's it. Timeless wisdom. Also Think about that. Auld Lang Syne uh, mm-hmm. and these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, uh, we were going to do some kind of roundup uh, and uh, we just didn't have the energy to do it. Uh, it's a lot of work to do a roundup because, you know, I only remember things from about four or five days ago. Yeah. And I figured if we did a roundup and actually put the research time in, we'd be letting you down on the promise of low effort. Mm-hmm, that's true. That's what they come for. That's, that's what, what the, they buy. That's what the people are here for. Uh, so uh, the one uh, we were going to do like a roundup of the worst grifters of 2018. And I only really got to Jim Comey, but so I'm just going to put him out there. You know, the worst grift of all capitalism. Oh, there you go. There you go. All right. There you go. OK. Number one. <laughs> the biggest grift of all. Number one. OK. So that's our list, I guess. Jim Comey and capitalism. <laughs> Uh, moving right along into, uh, hot topics, uh, this week, uh, it's the anniversary of a truly great tweet. Oh, yes. Very hot topic. <laughs> it's, uh, My, I would say yeah. mildly hot, I guess. It's, technically. Yeah. It's uh, hot topics to make you kind of queasy at the end of the day. Uh, around this time, was it last year? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, it feels like it was like six years ago at this point. Yeah, it would have been last year. Uh, Josh Marshall of the Talking Points memo. Toilet paper memo. <laughs> tweeted out uh, some innocuous text. I think it said, you know, they did say very close collaboration or something. Uh, and then there was a link to a video in the tweet and it was just softcore lesbian porn. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it wasn't a skit or a joke. It was just porn off a porn website. Yes. Well, so initially the apologists in the media were there were a number of theories that tried to say that this was a high art tweet. Yeah, that oh, was you the best think part. He's actually doing a parody of Trump and Putin a, here. A sarcasm yeah. of Trump and in the redheaded lesbian is actually Putin and the blonde lesbian is Trump. And, you know, the conolingus associates with emails. And, and so this and is very close collaboration. This is a little porn joke about the campaign collusion. That was the, the effort briefly when... I shit you not, people tried to say that that was happening. Absolutely. And, and Josh Toilet Paper Memo was <laughs> offline for an hour. I don't know. He was probably consulting with his attorneys or whatever, <laughs> trying to figure out how to go forward. And then eventually he decided to just not try to say I was doing high art tweeting, but just... I accidentally copied a link. Whoops. Control V, that porn link. <laughs> it was uh, supposed to be a link to some article, maybe New York Times or whatever, and... uh you know, sometimes you get to going with your clipboard and you just, <laughs> you know, you got all kinds of stuff floating around in there, just slinging out the links. It's tough. You forget what you control seed last and then you hit that. It could happen to D. any of us. That's why it's, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to be too glib, I suppose. Like, you know. No, you can only be glib. You don't want to be too like <laughs> uh, uh, too censorious about it. You want to only be glib. 
but I mean, the, the best part of that whole incident was, was the, you know, 30 minutes before he was like, whoops, you know. Uh, actually, he, Eve Pazer wrote a piece on the tweet for Vice because it stayed up. It's still up, I think. And uh, and when she emailed him for comment, he emailed her back, and then he screen capped his own email response and tweeted it out. So kind of an open letter about the incident. And he was like, "I like porn, and I feel sorry for people who don't." Yeah, you actually. guys are the weird ones. It's actually incredibly yeah. normal to tweet porn. And <laughs> if you don't do the porn, and especially if you don't tweet it and share it, it's kind of. You're kind of the weird. You're kind of the, the, the morons. In He's this one. like, I feel sorry for all the sex negative weirdos who aren't watching the porn on December thirty mm-hmm. first. So, um, there and you go. So that was one of the um, greatest tweet through it episodes. I mean, it's really a roadmap. I suppose. I mean, it, it worked. Uh, yeah, he just I mean, tweeted I, I guess I don't really it. know if he has a. a <laughs> you know, I don't really know what the consequences could have been exactly, but you know. I thought, you know, uh, it was it's a it's a roadmap for future people who make uh, enormous Twitter mistakes. You just got to be like, yeah, I'm reading uh, NC-17 Naruto fan fiction. I feel bad for you if you don't. You guys are the strange ones. I'm doing, you know, research. And <laughs> even if I weren't, even if it wasn't just research, <laughs> it's actually good. <laughs> So, jokes on you. Really, the jokes on you, the one missing out over Clearly here. The jokes on you guys. I and, think uh, it's, I like it. <laughs> but the the really frameable tweets from that whole episode are the ones that are like, no, he's just making a point. Yeah, they're like they were like uh, a pre-runners to the the new meme form where <laughs> you know you have a variety of characters and then you have to put like a piece of text on it. You know, like the <laughs> the black and white arm uh, whole you yeah. know clinching or. Or the the looking at the new girlfriend yeah. one. It was like yeah, this was, was a precursor. It was a precursor to that, and no one like unfortunately didn't like screenshot the video and like put the text up. But they were doing that uh, narratively. Yeah, um, and you know it was beautiful. So it was great. I loved it, and it was awesome. That tweet will go down in history. Uh, the opposite way of handling it would be like Kurt Eichenwald tweeting the tab where he was obviously looking at tentacle porn hentai. Yeah, I don't remember his reaction to that. He was he like, no, any. no, my uh, my wife didn't believe tentacle porn existed, so I was oh, just yeah. proving to her. See that? that I was no. doing research. Yeah, that's that falls under <laughs> the research. That's unacceptable. <laughs> that does not constitute as tweeting through it. The response should have been, I love tentacle porn hentai, and I feel bad for you that you don't freak. Yeah, you're missing out on a great yeah. human achievement. You're missing out. Uh, the, you know, the Michelangelo of our day yeah. in many ways. Um, you know? You're the one who's living a dull half-life while I'm out here living for real. Mm-hmm. That should have been Kurt's response. And then maybe people wouldn't still tweet tentacle porn at him today if that had been what he did. Right. Who knows? Who knows? These days, the toilet paper memo man, and I suppose the reason we even thought about uh, this grand anniversary is he's, you know, he's, uh, he's drawing the lines on his corkboard of the vast uh, conspiracies uh, not only of Russia, but of the Bernie people. He's oh, yeah. really there's he's he's got a whole grid. It looks like uh, it looks like that show uh, Hollywood Squares, you know, <laughs> and it but it the squares are all the various conspiracies he's tracking on Twitter. And, yeah. you know, and and then, you know, and then there's also, uh, you know, a, a live indicator of the healthiness of his brain and, and <laughs> how well it's operating he's on top of it. Trump in Russia, Jill oh. Stein in Russia. With uh, age, with age, he only gets sharper. His brain only gets more tuned to reality. <laughs> uh, there, there definitely is not an equivalent <laughs> of the Fox News dad among liberals, where they sit on Twitter all day and their brain slowly liquefies. That doesn't exist at all. They just get sharper. They They're get like cleaner the, and smarter. The uh, ISIS is trying to send in Latin Americans with Ebola over the border to destroy the country, and you're like, damn, that is wise. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I cannot disagree with that uh all the pieces are there you just got to put them together uh jo- yeah josh marshall was uh he he's running the regressions figuring out the the bernie phalange yeah he's all on he's in the machine learning he's got <laughs> neural networks he's, he's really got, running it yeah. He's he's created a variety of twitter bots with the twitter api to really yeah. to really track you know 
was did uh, on oh wh- on what day did Sirota do his tweet? Oh man, that was also the same day that the Bernie Hell staffer said that she got a cup of coffee from Starbucks. And what's Starbucks? Well, Starbucks, <laughs> and then on and on he's he goes. Like, he's like, where was Jane Sanders the day Liz Brunig published her piece on Beto? <laughs> Can we make sure they weren't in the same room? <laughs> it's like, uh, well, I mean, you know. I know where Jane Brunig was on that day. There you go. That's that's a connection right that's there, though. That's a big connection. That's like a red line drawn in Sharpie on the corkboard between yep. Jane Brunig and Jane Sanders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just got to look at all the pieces and figure out how they fall together. And mm-hmm. He coined the term Bernie Falange. Yeah. Bernie, I just imagine that Bernie. That was the uh, homage to Peter Dow. Just imagine Bernie Sanders in like jodhpurs and knee-high boots and about a thousand military medals and like a big red sash. Yeah. Yeah. Calling on like the big, the big field phone, you know, the one where yeah. you have to have one man who carries it and the exactly. other man has to hold it. Yeah. And he's like, do the Sirota tweet. Do the Sirota <laughs> tweet. Now's he's the time. Like, Now's the like, time. The holidays are the best time to do a Sirota tweet. He's like, David Sirota, right now, realize your destiny for the phalange. Do it <laughs> and die and die a hero. <laughs> like, <laughs> I did this. I guess I also got the call. He's like, Liz. The Beto piece we spoke about several months ago. <laughs> now is the time. Now is the time. Do it for your people. Do it for your nation. <laughs> I just hit the pub button and WordPress, and that was it. There you go. That was all. So that's the Bernie Falange. Uh, yeah, a uh, great time of year to, to put out your tweets to destroy someone. It's mm-hmm. like Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. People are always on Twitter. And Twitter, at that no, time. yeah, th- people. That's a good time for Twitter, and everyone's on Twitter. And yeah. it's not a place for politics watchers to cook their brain. It's actually a mass yeah. communication medium that really reaches reaches yeah. the people. Everyone and always is on Twitter constantly, and they all know who all the brands are. Yeah, they're like, oh man, my Sirota? God, Katie Tur. Said Jelani? Yeah. Uh, Real bottom of the barrel left personalities like myself are especially well known to moms in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Those are the key voters. The key voters are the ones who are, who are on Twitter and, you know, they're like, oh, man, what are the Chapel boys up to? You've seen really genius uh, takes on the, the Beto stuff uh, in the past few days. Tom Watson, who's got a notoriously great brain and was involved in the Hillary campaign in 2016, uh, notoriously successful 2016 Clinton presidential campaign uh, said that because I wrote the mildly critical piece on Beto and the post, Bernie's poll numbers had collapsed, implying that all of the people they're polling nationwide, a read the piece and B knew who I supported in 16. And they were like, no, I'm punishing her for this. Right. No mention of Bernie, even in the Uh, piece, except to say that his staffers worked with Beto. Right. And that was the only mention. But, so. you know, they're doing the same kind of corkboard, toilet yeah. paper memo stuff. <laughs> they're, and they're, they're online, the, too. They're like they're putting the pieces uh, together. Elizabeth Brunig, foot soldier for the Bernie Falange. I'm very well aware of what's happening here. Mm-hmm. So there's just there's only good stuff happening on Twitter. Everybody's extremely normal. They're coming to very sane conclusions uh, that's that uh, indicate that they're very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you so. if and and how dare you say that Russiagate and other similar things are Lib Benghazi and occupy the same parts <laughs> of the lizard brain because that's not true at all. It's very legitimate. It's 100% and, real. And these concerns are, are even are even more so legitimate. It's not just uh, people uh, filling their heads with uh, conspiracy dramas yeah. and, and that sort of stuff because, you know, it's a hobby activity or whatnot for them. Yeah. It's very, very serious. The, the, the state of the nation is, is, is at risk, so... You know, everybody's sleeping on this except these five or six guardians who stay up all night <clears throat> trying to figure out if Jill Stein's chief of staff knows Putin personally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, that's all going really well. I'm happy with the state of the Internet. I only see it getting better in 2019. Oh, man, it's going to be so good. People are only going to become more attached to reality. <laughs> Their judgment will only improve. Uh, everything will stay and even become even more reasonable. It's so paranoid. That's yeah. the thing that I think is so interesting about it is it's one thing to just like to just fight it out and be like, this is good, this is bad, and so on. But 
especially as you get closer and closer to election or whatever, it immediately jumps up to three or four levels of meta or like whatever substance there was is is so far gone from the discussion. (laughs) And even like questions of electability, which are for the most part just speculative bullshit, those have even passed and it's just reached a level of, you know, what sort of forces are moving, what sort of uh, pawns in this game that I'm being controlled by. And, you know, it's like, you need to go to the doctor. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know. Yeah. yeah. And then then when you even have evidence of various, like, that's the weird thing that I guess other commenters have pointed out is you have evidence of just straight up conspiracies and weird sorts of things, and they just seem to blip on by. Like, you, you get the, like, Jeffrey Epstein you know, child molestation. Yeah, real uh, life pizza game. <laughs> real life pizza game. It just flips on by. We got this news story, what, yesterday about... about uh, Doug Jones and Roy Moore. That was a fucking uh, screamer right there. Some LinkedIn dude but paid $100,000 to create fake bots that were supposed to look like Russians. Yes, they made w- <laughs> fake Russian bots to try to implicate Roy Moore in Russian collusion that wasn't actually happening. As, right. The two levels of insanity in, in, in that... Um, and then, and then, and then you've got like the, the, the WikiLeaks emails showing various sorts yeah. of coordination going on. That just seems to have blipped on by for the most part. And instead yeah. people just, it's like, you've got conspiracies that you could just go with that are well reported and well, you know, l- decent amount of evidence. And instead people just invent their own elaborate fictions. People and are like, hash it out online. Conspiracies involving multi-million dollar uh, exchanges for propaganda relating to actual elections? No thanks. Conspiracies relating to second-tier media figures and their tweets? A hundred fucking percent. Mm-hmm. Sign me up for that. It's real. There's absolutely a network behind the scenes pulling all the levers. We can't see it. This is somewhat anti-Semitic. Uh, they do imply that Bernie controls the media. Well... Uh, but, uh, you know, they definitely sign on with that instead of the, the actual conspiracies that are, like, fairly well documented. And I don't understand it. I would rather go with the conspiracies that are hard to even deny. Yeah. Well, but I'm an amateur. Yeah. You know. I haven't been in this game for long. Maybe that stops doing it for you after a while. Yeah, well, yeah, and it doesn't, What you know, it's got to serve your purpose. This, you know, it's... It's more boring than, you know, if you if you yeah. fiction can go whatever direction you want it to go. So yeah. uh, let me throw you a little bit of curveball here. Uh, Japan has pulled out of an international agreement not to whale. What do you think about that? Well, you used to watch a lot of documentaries on whaling, actually. Uh, well, I think if you're going to cry, you should try to be more modest about it. No, 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 no. You know, you don't Ho- want to just... Whaling. Just, whaling. Just, wa- just whale. No, no, no. Whaling with an H. In terms of violence. Moby Dick. I would say, in general, I'm against violence. Uh, so you like, don't want to, like, just whale on someone. You, if, like you whale know, song. Use your, you, uh, use big your words. Big underwater mammals. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I have mixed feelings on this because, you know, Norway likes to whale and I like Norway. So I have to kind of so support it. <laughs> so it's like, well, you know, drunk driving kills thousands of people a year, but it also helps people get to work on time. So who can say if it's bad? You know, or not? it's a cultural <laughs> imperialism. It's well, deep, that's that's what I was going to say. It's deeply enmeshed in Norwegian culture, Icelandic culture. So Japan, um, basically, in their pullout from this international agreement, they said the same thing. And by the way, they've been whaling all along. They've just been saying they were doing it for scientific reasons. Uh, and so I think they're just going to kind of do away with the uh, the uh, pretense now that they're doing it for research, uh, which is always a defense. It's a defense on Twitter, and it's a defense in whaling. Uh, but uh, I think that you know their, their explanation was something like, look, this is a big part of Japanese culture. The international agreement said they would work towards sustainable guidelines for whaling, and they're not doing that. And we can't, we're not going to let an international agreement interfere with the practice of our longstanding culture. And I think it's another sign um, that the world, just sort of global politics, is moving in that direction at the moment. The abandonment of sort of international agreements in the post-war era you know, or a couple decades thereafter that were meant to kind of secure a global, um, uh, almost, you know, monoculture in certain regards, 
uh, people are just abandoning that all over the place, whether it be international trade agreements or these big, um, you know, casting doubt or aspersions on these big leagues, the UN, NATO, uh, or the EU and Europe. Um, this We're just going through a period where people are, are pretty rapidly doing away with those kinds of agreements, um, which I find interesting. I mean, at least it's important to document it historically, and this is like kind of a small and weird uh, indicator, I think. Well, perhaps, perhaps. I've never really understood what the thing was. I mean, is the cultural thing, or is that serious? Is that a lie? No, 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 it's totally serious. Japan really does have a, a long well, sure, history. Sure, sure, sure. But I mean, is that, is it in, uh, how much, how important is the industry? I never really got it. It, it. Do they make a lot of money on this? If not, then then that makes the case that it's a cultural thing more compelling. But like, is it a, I don't know. I think it's the like certain more traditional parts of the country do rely on it. And so when you starve it out, you're starving out sort of traditional communities. Okay, so that would make sense. That would kind of square the circle. You have It's not necessarily a big part of the Japanese economy, but it's a big part of the economy of certain areas. And so those areas push it. Because, I mean, I That's imagine, my impression. culturally speaking, right, like, it's not as if they harvest whales in a way that is consistent with the uh, c- cultural traditions, right? I presume they I have uh, <laughs> whaling firms that are uh, owned by... Uh, yeah, I mean, I doubt they're still class. doing it like they were in the Meiji era. Right, but it's because you have some of that where it's like it, like Inuits or whatever will yeah, go yeah. and like, you know, haul a whale from the ocean kind and, you know... They kind of cut it and yeah. everyone gets some whale blubber and there's like no selling of it or whatever. And yeah. that you're like, OK, this is uh, similar to, you know, uh, a, I don't know, any other kind of ritual someone has. or But if you've completely modernized the way you do it and it's just you have these big firms that go out, you know, it's a little harder to. It's hard to like directly connect that to tradition, but. You know, nonetheless, I think, and this is true with all of these kinds of global agreements, it's the very idea that people bristle at. Yeah, I think it's got, it's a reactionary thing. It's a, gre- it's a well, you don't tell us what to do, yeah. and this is, I have some cultural are. predecessor, I suppose. Yeah. Like, I, I could see something like that, where it's just like, you know, it's an, I don't know, kind of like an anti-colonial, anti-imperial, uh, national self-determination. I mean, which that's is the weird thing is that a lot at. of this, uh, a lot of the anti-global nationalist stuff can also be phrased in sort of anti-colonial uh, self-determination terms. So, like, depending on how it's phrased, you can see the argument kind of developing in a very reactionary direction or in a left wing direction. right? Well, yeah. Well, that's always been a, a, a part of a, I don't know, a kind of jokey thing is like, uh, well, uh, if it's if it's bad nationalism, then, you know, we call it nationalism that's yeah. against um uh, socialist internationalism and the combination of workers across the world and that sort of thing. If it's uh, if it's if it's a good nationalism that we like, we call it self determination. Yeah, right. It's like even the words themselves, you you pick and choose them um, based on you, how approving you are of you know the activity. Um, I mean, so I, I mean, I'm just noting it for uh, trying to hook it into a larger pattern. It's not an endorsement, of course. I would not eat a whale meat. It has full, it's full of mercury, man. Those things are like uh, full of mercury. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. It's just like cracking open a thermometer in your mouth and just drinking out the mercury. I wouldn't do that, fam. Just a little word to the wise here. Uh, dolphin meat also full of mercury. I wouldn't eat that shit. Well, maybe they have demercurizers. I don't know if people have that. I'm going to invent it. They tell you when you're pregnant not to eat like very much tuna in a day because that shit's also full of mercury. That's how I came to know about this. Yeah, uh, all sea life, I guess. Sea life full of mercury. But some sea life doesn't have mercury because of the way they eat. You know, it has to do with where you are on the food chain. That's the way I understand it. Anyway, here's a quick thing. There was a news story based on a Reddit post. Oh, boy. Which is its own kind of sign of the apocalypse. Uh, The Reddit post was about a bride who had a wedding, and uh, she mandated that it was child-free, no children at the wedding. 
Oh, children get in free. No, 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 no children. Oh. Not free for children. About uh, to say, <laughs> you should charge charge them. <laughs> it's actually kind of they a good idea. They eat the food just <laughs> no, like it's everyone it's else. A great idea to charge guests at your wedding and then use I it actually to think it's not a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, no, it wasn't that. It was no kids, and then some people brought their kids, and then the the, the kids were fussy, and the bride was like, "You need to leave," and then she was like, "I made a Reddit post where she was like, am I in the wrong?'" And of course, all the 24-year-old men on Reddit were like, no, you're totally in the right. I hate kids. Oh, uh, the bride posted. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Not so the kicked out couple. So she was regretting it. Or she just felt like she... I think she wasn't regretting it. I think she felt like she was like within her rights, but just wanted people to affirm that... Yeah, well, yeah, she was questioning it in some way. Yeah, or she was questioning the response. I think her family said that they didn't like what she did because mm-hmm. it embarrassed the couple. And, and she was like, look, my wedding, you know... My rules. <sighs> I tweeted about it. I got a position on this. I don't do kid-free weddings. Uh, I understand some kid-free events if it's like safety-related, like Burning Man. Well, uh, bars. Yeah. You alcohol. Know, alcohol, um, cigarettes, uh, shit that's on fire, heavy drug use, mm-hmm. um, pornography. Orgies. Yeah, I wouldn't take a kid to an orgy. Um, you just have to get a Mining. sitter. Well, they used to use a lot of kids. I know, but not anymore. Yeah, I I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would not put a child into any kind of labor situation. I think it's just my personal view. But I also feel like there's like a there's like a resurgent yuppie anti kid tendency. It's not just weddings. It's like brunch. You see people tweeting about like, I hate I hate it when I'm trying to brunch. When those kids mess up my mimosas. Yeah, it's exactly like that. It's they like, dumped a mimosa right on the floor. <laughs> it's like I'm having a brunch, but there are kids running around, and I'm trying to play sex in the city here. It's like, don't you fucking kids have any decency? I'm trying to be a fucking Miranda, <laughs> and you're running around yelling. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then, like, restaurants, you do feel some pressure as a parent when you show up in a restaurant and you have a kid and people look at you and you're like, oh, my God. There's a huge amount of pressure in every public Airplanes. space. Airplanes. All public spaces, grocery store. Every time you're out with a kid, yeah. you feel a pressure people look related at you, to yeah. if the kid is going to do something, if the kid is going to scream or, or, you know, because kids act out and whatnot. And the pressure is, is there. Yeah. Um, and you so know, like, but the, you know, it's not good. The pressure shouldn't be there in most cases, or at least should be much less relaxed. Like, you know, like as long as someone's making a decent effort to, you know, make sure the kid is behaving, then, you know, that 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 should be enough for you, whether they do or don't um, actually succeed in that. Yeah, it's a it's like and the only and I tweeted about this. Well, I think it was somewhat misunderstood, but that the only result in having a society that's very unfriendly to kids is that women have to stay indoors. Yeah, it's uh, women do the vast majority of the caretaking. And so if you know that anywhere you go with a kid, a restaurant, a movie, a brunch, whatever, people are going to give you a hard time or you're unwelcome. Then one of you goes and the, the primary caretaker, in most cases, the woman just stays home with the kids. Or if you go, you know, you you hire a sitter, they can't go to a restaurant or the movies or take the kids anywhere. Right. They have to strict to stick to these, you know. Uh, kind of children's only spaces and be segregated from a lot of public life. And I find that really frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. If the public sphere has to be child free, then the public sphere has to be child carer free. Right. And yeah, the child exactly. carer is typically a woman. So you are recreating uh, the stay in the home. Yeah. Get it's in like the, the kitchen. You have it's like a, a very reactionary outcome. Even you have if a gynecium basically where you're like, I don't want to see those kids in public places because they annoy the adults. So you're relegating some adult to have to not be in public. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, I just, I find that a little bit obnoxious. So my view, you know, it's like, look, just relax about the kids, you know, you know, it can be a little annoying. They can be fussy. They're not as annoying as like yuppie assholes. Yes, well, a lot of people are mm. annoying in public, but we... Uh, we tolerate them. <laughs> we, uh, yeah. And, you know, it's like a little kid running around, oh, I'm a Pokemon, so, you know, screaming or whatever, and that can be annoying. The parents should probably handle that. But then, you know, you overhear people being like, you know, I just don't want to pay for Ivanka Trump to go to college. Right. You know, and well, you're like, right. I would it, rather hear a child well, yell than hear that dumbass it's conversation. It's a perverse thing, because it's like, if you don't 
like being out in public, then you shouldn't be out in public. Yeah, why like, aren't you the problem, fam? Yeah, like if you don't want to go to a restaurant where there might be children, you have a house where you can eat food where no one is allowed except the people that you, you know, invite. That's um, true. So, you know, it's a sort of a weird thing where the you're trying to police people out of the public sphere to make it to where you to make it amenable to how you want it to be instead of saying, well, if it's not amenable to me, I'm going to exit it. You know, uh, yeah. it's it's a kind of an odd and that, you know, you know, I understand weddings are essentially private events and, you know, people are within their rights to do what they want there. I would just, you know, that's just a. That's just a little piece of thinking I would factor into my decision making when I was deciding whether or not to ban kids from my event. Somebody was like, oh, my my friend had a 20 person destination wedding uh, in the Bahamas. So there so it was kid free. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, fine. I'm not like I'm not going to sue you. It's just, you know, if we got invited today to a destination wedding in the Bahamas, we'd be like, no. Well, I'm not going to any destination I'm, wedding. I would barely um, go to any. I wouldn't go to one of my own. But, uh, you know, if if they were like, yeah, no, come on, you know, beach vacation, but you can't bring your kids. I'd be like, no, what am I going to do with my kids for like five days? No. Right. Like, sorry. Well, it gets I'll to. I'll tweet um, at you, though. Yeah. Tweet out congrats. Yeah. You know. Meanwhile, uh, the return of Isabel Sawhill. Oh man, Isabel Sawhill is back. She's back. She's huh. our friend from Brookings. The Brookings Institute, welfare reform. <laughs> Love that welfare reform. She loves work so much that she yeah. refuses to retire. Um, it's I really mean, admirable. An incredible example. She lives the life that she would. She doesn't want. just talk that shit. You know, she's out there living it. She would want us to lead. I can't tell immediately how old she is it says she received her phd in 1968 all right so maybe in her 40s uh so i mean basically 70s? no she's probably uh, 75 something like that so her uh, her sort of big contribution uh is well her most recent contribution she's she's gotten on some bullshit lately yeah yeah uh, that's true you know for a long time, it was like uh, she was like in the sort of welfare reform register. Um, we need to stop. Um, we need to stop um, out of wedlock births. Yep. We need to get more people working, yep. et cetera, et cetera. And then and then in her like late life move, she has instead of she's noticed none of that's worked right for better or worse. Bit of a bust in all those cases. Yeah. Child bearing out of wedlock is increasing work i mean we've had these recessions i mean yeah. the degree to which there's work available is sort of always yeah. fluctuating uh she's that that has been a complete sort of failure that program and instead of being like oh man well, i guess you know what i guess we just got to do the welfare state i mean i guess we just gotta we just gotta do what you gotta do mm -hmm. do, the, do the transfers do the benefits she's just she's pivoted to being like well we can't stop people from uh if we can't get more marriage and can't get more work what if we just uh gave poor people iud's and then they didn't have children what if the poor just never had children <laughs> it's like wow that's really taking a turn uh or maybe it didn't take a turn maybe that was sort mm, of the gist where it was going all along <laughs> in fact yeah it's like there's two paths you could go there you could be like well we either, uh, I guess we just need to support all children and all families with children and provide all of them benefits. And that's just going to be what it is. We're not going to be able to get everyone to form into these perfect family units as we would, as we would like them. Or you can be like, well, maybe people who aren't in the right family units just shouldn't have, shouldn't be able to have ch children. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> uh, well, here's the issue. There's a poor person with a child. And, uh, one thing you could do to fix that equation is to make them not poor and the other thing you could do is to make them not have a child. There you go. And she's like, now, nah, door number two. And she's like, do the math. And she's right. It's like, well, yeah, if you do the math. Uh. 
<laughs> if you reduce the number of children in the country, you're going to reduce the level of poverty. That is uh, straightforward. Imagine how true. little poverty we'd have if we just got rid of all the poor people, adults and children. I'm, if we just yes. put them in a big wood chipper. Yes. I mean, imagine if you just, you know, instead of disability insurance, you just euthanize disabled yeah. people. And that God, would, the budget. Think of the budget balancing capacity of that kind of shit. You would save so much fiscal space. Um, but she's been doing this. And, and the reason it's come up recently is um, there was a piece. It just keeps coming. I've been following yeah. this for years. There was a piece in the New York Times on December 18 by Margot Sanger Katz called Set It and Forget It. Uh. How Better Contraception Could Be a Key to Reducing Poverty. Okay. And to be clear on that, I mean, what 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 exercises me about this for the most part is the really uncomfortable quasi eugenic connection between yeah. contraception and poverty. Right. I mean, if it, it's totally fine, I mean, as an argument to say, hey, like we want people to be able to control, you know, to have yeah, birth yeah, control. Yeah, that's the point we're emphasizing. Sort of Neither of us think people shouldn't have access to birth control. Right. Of course, people should. You know, absolutely, that makes sense. And it's like there's a lot of benefits to that, and, and or there could be, and and people have freedom, and so on. like yeah. that, that. But like, why would you then connect it to to poverty? It's, yeah. it's a totally bizarre. Because I mean, it does reach that very weird conclusion like anytime yeah. your approach to poverty is uh, uh n less people yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's going in a really the troubling approach to poverty is uh, instead of fixing the distribution that creates the poverty we should just get rid of the people who need the distribution right right change. right uh, that's a very psychotic way to handle a problem what if we just trim the number of people in in the bottom bucket yeah not move them out of the bucket but just like reduce their numbers yeah. you know what i mean and i mean know? the thing about the the, the thing about you know isabel sawhill's approach is like well poor women shouldn't have children until they are you know wealthy or they're at the peak of their earnings but you know you ran the numbers on that at one point that leaves a huge chunk of poor women in the position of never being able to have children because a lot of people work low-wage jobs or are uh, have unstable employment for a huge chunk of their lives yes um so it's like look, they, you know if you have poor woman who wants to have kids and that's the position she's in. The answer to her poverty can't be like, nope, no children. Sorry, you just got to hang on where you are. Right. There's a conceptual issue here. I mean, what she's trying to do. So so her thing is basically free IUDs to poor people. And yeah. again, another weird thing here why is Why just like, poor? Why not everyone? <laughs> why not yeah. everyone? It's such it's, a weird means testing thing. It's weirdly means testing and the means testing gestures towards something the extremely eugenics. ugly. <laughs> yeah. Like, like it, it, what yeah. if I said this? What if I was like, because the, the means testing kind of thing, you'd be like, this is good. This is a progressive policy. Yeah. What if I was like, I've got this plan, uh, free UID, IUDs to all black women. Yeah. People would be like, I think that would raise me? some eyebrows yeah, and be yeah. like, excuse me? Uh, yeah. Or or Jewish women or any sort of group. All that's disabled sort of women or women with IQ under 100 get a free IUD. Free IUD, that's great. I mean, they don't have to pay for it now. Now they have more money for groceries. You'd just be like, like pardon? You'd be like, mm, mm. I think uh, something's going what are you? on What's there. a foot? <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's sort of her gist. But then, yeah, the... the it, the the one way that this works to reduce poverty is just well it just straightforwardly reduces the number of kids they have yeah. and like the IUD is like the key a key part of this yeah. for her because it's like once you have the IUD inserted it it's well, you know a decent amount of effort to get it taken out yeah right it's not just like you can just decide one day oh I want to have kids and so you got to like go to the doctor yeah, and it's yeah. like a whole thing and like just just creating frictions that make it difficult for you to, you know, turn the fertility back on is like a yeah. key a key part of this for her. But um, the other part, the more like sympathetic reading that isn't just like we need to, you know, they need to stop having so many babies is they need to delay. Yeah, the, the like, delay. Yeah, let's mean. have them have the baby when they're 30 or whatever. And there are, of course, two problems with it. The one, the one that you raised is... That it's true, of course, that as people get older, their incomes tend to increase. But if you look at like the 10th percentile woman or the 15th percentile woman, like the woman who's at that level of the wage distribution, 
like she's never really going to have enough income to be able to, you know, live a comfortable life with two kids and that yeah. sort of thing. It's just never going to happen. And if you it, it, and that's under our current system. But yeah. like we we acknowledge this even uh, with some of our other programs. Like if you got rid of uh, free public schooling, for instance, the the number of people who would be able to like comfortably afford children and be able to send them to school and stuff. I mean, you know, like the bottom third wouldn't be able, like well up in the middle class, you would be struggling yeah. to to have kids if yeah. you had to shell out all the costs of a kid at the same time as it was as it was needed, right? If you needed to start paying $12,000 a year when the kid turns six or whatever, right. uh, it, that would be really, really difficult. Um and and so, yeah, the delay thing doesn't work because there are a lot of people who will never get to that level of income. And then also secondarily, and I think this is this is a point that gets that is that is totally absent from the debate, but I think is interesting to talk about, especially given our own personal situation is <clears throat> when people talk about delay, they they talk about the sort of benefits of it. Well, you get deeper into your income life cycle you're deeper into your yeah. career so your income is higher and that's true but the downside is that the more you delay you know fertility has a limited period so the more you delay the less able you are to have the number of children that you want to have right and the new york times also had an article a few months ago that was like a large percentage of women who say they had less children than they wanted to have that a large percentage of them, the reason why is because they said they they held out too long because right. they didn't they weren't financially Their money stable. Wasn't right. I mean, so like the solution here is not like uh, you know not ban the IUDs or some some reaction like that. The the solution is like no, uh, the number of kids you have and when you have kids should be a matter of your decision, and then distribution should follow that. Yes, it should. Right? You should, it, you should enable be, all paths. Right? right. We shouldn't be tailoring our policy so that women have kids in a pattern that we desire, right? Poor women don't have children or they wait to have children. We should be tailoring our distribution policies so that women are able to self-determine right. any kids they have. Right. And that, that was a, cause she's been pushing this for so long. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I'm so, I don't know, vexed by this 2018 piece. Cause she was, she wrote a book on it in 2014. She wrote a piece on it in 2013, also in the New York times. So yeah. this is five years ago. And that New York, the one she wrote in the, in 2013 is really funny because the, it's one of those old room for debate things. Yeah. Remember when the, the times used to do this where they'd have like the debaters and, and they would all write like 400 words or whatever. Yeah. And the, the subject of this one was, is the U.S. still a land of opportunity? And her entry was, unplanned pregnancies perpetuate a cycle of poverty. Yeah. <laughs> so a little bit of a, a missing the prompt, I feel like, or just yeah. kind of a shoehorning in your own pet issue. Um, but then also there was a piece um, that Catherine Rampell wrote at The Post um, also about, you know, Sawhill. And it was sort of like here's a way to cut poverty, uh, but it won't make the Pope happy or whatever. Um, but what they all miss is they're all like, this This gives people more choice. Yeah. that That's the idea. It's like it gives you more choice uh, of when you have kids and that sort of thing. But the reality is that if the choice is between not having kids or crushing poverty because of the weight of caring for a kid financially, then that's not a choice. Yeah. It's just not a choice. It's not. And what's weird is they recognize this in other contexts, including in the birth control context. Right. Because if you could say, well, people have a choice to have birth control, and they'll say, yeah. but they can't afford it. Right. The so IEDs that's not a real expensive. choice. Right. So they don't actually have a choice right. to have birth control. And you're like, oh, that's very interesting. Well, so can they afford parenting? No. Yeah. <laughs> So they don't have a choice, choice. right? And it's like, what are we doing here? This is crazy. Uh, You know, like it's like another incident where another instance where liberalism prizes freedom, but only socialism can actually deliver on it. Yes. I mean, in this context, especially it's like the IUD as a way of of uh, of avoiding welfare state expansion. No, you have to do the IUD and welfare state expansion or you're 
not giving people the choice that you say you're giving them. You're you're designing an institution, a set of economic institutions that forces them into one choice. Yeah, Um, exactly. And, and, And by design, by the way. Oh yes, I mean that's that's why it's so nefarious to me. I mean part of uh, part of it is like okay, I don't know, are, are these people thinking clearly? Like that's always a question you have with yeah. some people. But another part of you, you're like, these people are smart people. You know these people, they're smart. I talk yeah. to them. They are clear thinkers. They have to realize that IUD or crushing poverty is not a choice. Uh, having children and being poor versus, you know, not having children and and scraping by, that's not a sincere choice. And yet that's where they push policy wise. And so that's then when you start getting into what's your real thing here? Yeah. What's really Uh, happening? You know, like, like not only is it on first glance kind of weird to be like, well, the poor people stopped having kids, but then the actual construction of the policy and your reluctance to endorse the welfare state. And in fact, your positioning of this as contra welfare state as the alternative to the welfare state drives home that actually, I think that's what you're doing. I think that's like what it's about. Mm. Um, So, you know, it's very uncomfortable and it's very unfair. You know, I mean, you want people to be able to have the number of kids they want when they want to have them. And everything should be oriented around that, right? The, yeah. the system is the system should be designed to accommodate people's lives and the rhythm of human life, including exactly. when people have kids. Yeah. Not the other way around, where our lives are need to be reshaped and re-rhythmed in order to cohere with the you know market uh capitalist uh arrangement you know what i mean yeah um like everything is backwards at that point the people are serving the economy not the other way around and that sort of thing right um but i think you know one 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 other point on on delay if i will is not only of course do we have this data showing that a lot of people what happens with delay is they run out of time and they have fewer kids than they would like to have which should be seen as a, you know, a, a, tr- a tragic outcome, uh, to, it seems like to me, uh, in, 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 in line with the, you know, a tragic outcome of, of you know, an unplanned pregnancy or, you know, however yeah. you want to, it, it should be at least on, on par with that. But the other thing that I feel like people miss on this, and I've thought a lot about this, and, and especially I've thought a lot about this with their own um, family, is that... You know, the longer you wait, the less time you have with the kid. Like there's a there's a basic, you know, yeah. nature of the way human lives work. If you if a human being lives to age, you know, 80. Right. If you have a kid at 25, then you get 55 years with them. If yeah. you have it at 40, you only get 40 years with right. them. And then this gets multiplied with the grandchildren. Yeah. Because even less time. Yeah. yeah. If it's normal to have, if, if the rhythm is everyone has kids at 25 in your family, then that means that your grandkids are born when you're 50. Right. If the rhythm is everyone has kids at 40, then your grandkids are born when you're 80, i.e. dead or <laughs> close, <laughs> close to, to it. it. Yeah. And, you know... Well, do you, do you want to have grandkids? I mean, it's a little, it seems yeah. weird as a 20 year old to think about that, but like, you know, it all pans out that way. Yeah. I mean, we had, you know, we kind of firsthand uh, just did the experiment and I got pregnant with Jane when I was 24. Um, and my parents are still very young. Yes. That's the sprightly. The flip side is not just your grandkids, but also the ability of your parents to be grandparents and to help out and to help out. And you see some of these stories now more recently where it's like people are being crushed by dual care obligations because they have young children that they're caring for, but then they also have elderly parents that they're caring for and that this is just completely wrecking them. They can't, you know, like the costs of it, if they pay someone are extreme 
you know, because you've got to both pay a childcare bill, which in D.C. is over 20 grand, and then like a nursing home bill if your parents don't have right. it, which a lot of people don't, which I don't even know what that is. And like that just completely wipes you out or you got to like not work basically right. in order to provide it or you got to try to work and provide the care at the same time, which is just completely monopolizes your time and completely exhausts you and makes you not good at any of your tasks whether so like, working. you know it's never easy when you you know kids are tough and those first few years are especially tough um but i i'm very skeptical of the push uh to try to get you know especially poor people to delay 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 because i'm not actually convinced it'll make their lives easier or that it will make their experience of having children any better Right. The answer is obviously distribution. Yeah. Well, and in, and in an aggregate sense, right, like you have people who just they they someone's got to work these jobs. Yeah. The job should be improved. The pay should be improved and so on. But it, it's just going to be the case that there are people who work these jobs that are currently low pay that, you know. You can educate people as much as you want, but we can't all just like be lawyers who sues one another. And, and, you know, someone actually has to do the real work and produce real goods and services. And those people don't get paid very much, really kind of paradoxically in our system. And so the game of, well, of, of trying to, to, to fix that by, enabling individuals to like, well, what if those individuals got deeper and they got promotions and all that kind of stuff is it can't work in aggregate. Someone, someone's still going to be in those jobs or in those social positions where the income they receive is not enough to raise a family. Someone that, cause those positions are going to exist. They're going to exist. Someone has to do those jobs. And so it doesn't work, right? It's a game of sort of, I don't know, it's like moving the deck chairs on the Titanic. I don't like know what the analogy is, but it's, uh, you know, um, everyone can't jump ahead of everyone else. There's, uh, there's an order <laughs> to things. Um, and so the only way to really like support everyone in their child, uh, in their parenting and, and choices and that sort of thing is to make every single social position viable for yeah family raising every position that you can be in uh nurse uh a teacher uh child care worker uh, uh food service worker uh unemployed person uh disabled person like every you know slot that exists in society needs to um be able to support family yeah that's the only way it's going to work you're not going to eliminate disability you're yeah. not going to eliminate these sorts of jobs, you know what I mean? So that's sort of uh, my position. And the only way to do that, of course, is the welfare state. Um, So I guess this has gone back into family fun pack, which is a paper. Which is the solution to everything. I'm going to release soon. That has uh, six different family benefits that if you put it together, should basically make all parenting possible and, you know, virtually wipe out child poverty and you know financial instability among families with children Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing um so true stuff true stuff it's all true stuff here so that's all for today happy new year we hope you have a great 2019 uh the run-up to 2020 should be great i expect only normal things all right have a good one Bye. bye